0: Both said things that weren't very kind. Don't dig too deep, you never know what you'll find.
1: Now the first thing you'll be is the last thing on my mind. It's hard to believe I could leave this behind. It's neat as a whistle. All the papers are signed. The first thing you'll be is the last thing on my mind. Yeah, the first thing you'll be is the last thing on my mind.
2: first thing you'll be
0: is the last thing on my mind the first thing you'll be is the last thing on my mind
3: Hello, welcome again to the Strange Brew podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was Action Schools and the first thing you'll be from their new album, From a Running Horse. And I've got two members of Action Schools here today Vicky Peterson, famous for being the Bangles, and John Cowcells from the Cowcells. And we'll be discussing everything Action Schools, Bangles, Cowcells, and much more on the podcast today. So let's hear my chat with John and Vicky. Hello hi good morning thank you very much uh, for agreeing to speak with me My pleasure thank you clearly one of the big things to cover today is uh, action schools and you've got a, a new album from a running horse so it's your good selves and um bill moomy that's right he's our our skull mate the thing that i like about action schools is you've got three songwriters three singers you've really got strength in numbers there
2: yeah <laughs> is that strength i think uh, that, I, you know, okay. it's
3: complication in numbers
4: Everything's a meeting.
2: <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, it's a strength, for sure. We yeah. we That's what uh, started the band, really, was just us singing together around a piano at a party, right. completely unplanned. And uh, the sound that we made with the three of our voices, which are very different voices, as, as you can imagine, was really special. We all acknowledged that and had that moment of like, hey, this is kind of cool.
4: Yeah. And then Bill and I came up with the name. Yes, you did. Actually, I wanted you to be the action figures, like, you know, the voice, ah. you know. And Bill had this skull ring on. He goes, no, action skulls. And this one, Vicki rolls her eyes. She goes, no. Really,
2: guys? Come on. (laughs) But
3: I lost. Of course you did. (laughs) So who wrote The First Thing You'll Be, for example?
2: That was actually a, a combined effort. It started off with something that Bill had and... We uh, were in his studio and going through some songs, and we thought John and I thought it was really a beautiful song, and then we kind of grew up from there, added a bridge and and some additional verses.
4: Did I help write that? I think you did. I never know what I do. <laughs> Can't keep track of it.
3: Many people here in the UK will be familiar with Bill from Lost in Space as a, a child actor, but he's a fine songwriter as well.
4: Oh, he's incredible. He's an endless supply of songs. He writes. He writes and records an album in a week. Yeah. If anything, Vicky and I slow him down <laughs> by far. You'll be wake up in the morning and he'll have a video of a song that he just wrote in his bathrobe. He said, listen to this one, I'll do something or wish it to the cornfield, whatever you want to do with it. But Bill is a prolific songwriter and just has an endless yearning and a fire under his butt to keep yeah, writing. And yeah. it's an amazing thing. Some, really some of us write in blocks of time then nothing forever and then you know oh I got an idea you know or a song will take months <laughs> you know but Bill's like boom 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 boom
3: find the goods was that a combined effort as well it was yes actually. it
4: was it was uh, you know I, I'm not a lyricist at all and and I'm I'm kind of new at writing although I have one zillion ideas over my whole life of melodies and chords but I never have words and I've been begging for somebody to give me some words. So finally I said to Bill, I said, I have this melody. I said, can you just please send me some lyrics that you're not using so I can put a, see if I can put a song around it. And that's how find the good came up. And then, and then Vicky uh, added into the, the bridge and things there and, uh, and it just became a group effort. But yeah, that's a uh, bill wrote the lyrics. Most, yeah, I did most lyrics. of the music and Vicky mm-hmm. came in with the bridge and, no, that was definitely I a, 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 a power trio of, yeah. of writing.
1: Fifteen birds in a sycamore tree Perched up high Looking down at me Bowing my head Bending my knee Asking for a reason why all those years gone in a flash disappeared most of my cash memories fade like smoke and ash looking for i
3: did an album previously which was kind of related to the pandemic
2: did we we didn't even mean to we we put out an album in in 2017 we didn't mean it we, it was accidental it was an accidental record and then around the pandemic Bill started sending songs to us just like oh check this out check this you know, out it's look, all very look, let's back that blue-grass. up first
4: let's back that up just a little bit okay. how the pan how the pandemic album came about Bill writes all day long so I found a song that he sent to me and another friend and I listened to it. Bill Mooney has a habit of when you send him a piece of a song, he dumps it into his computer or his, his uh, recording system and finishes it, and then sends it back to you, unbeknownst to you. It's like, wait, that was just a demo. It's like, you've know, you you've made a whole song out of this. So he sent this song out. It's just him with the guitar singing. And I said, Vicky, I said, check this song out, it's great. It's called uh, Social Distancing Blues. Mm-hmm was the first one on that album and so I said let's pay him back and so we went into our <laughs> studio downstairs and we overproduced vocals on this He's we did a, the it blue. Full of we jumped it full of vocals and I sent it back to him then and then he goes take over great Mickey. I've
2: got 11 more and um, wow. he started like every day we'd w- wake up and go oh no there's another one and, but then we would, you know, we were, it was a pandemic. We were in lockdown. John was off the road for the first time in, at that point, yeah. 18 years. Yeah. So we just went into our studio every day and sang all over everything he brought us, played some instruments. But so th- by the end of, you know, uh, two weeks or so, we had another record. And so we called it our, our second, second record, because we'd already started what became right. from a running horse. Yeah. And that was 80% finished. And that was going to be our second record. So a different world became our first record. It was really our second, second record. And uh different,
4: yes. different World is really Bill's album. I mean, he wrote everything on that and sang lead on everything except for a
2: few uh, things. Um, the lullaby. The yeah.
4: lullaby yeah. one yeah. that was just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dream Catcher. What's it called? Yeah, Dream Catcher. Dreamcatcher. And Vicky came up with that melody. It was just Basically, Bill playing a yeah, blackbird yeah, like, guitar thing. It was just yeah. beautiful, and and then we put a melody around that, and it, it came up really pretty. And I love that song. But basically, Bill wrote all those songs, and we just we just layered all the backgrounds. Vicki and I did all the backgrounds, then we tell Bill put a low one on here, put a thing on yeah. here. So, but he wanted to call it the Action Skulls, and so we did. Yeah. It ended up being our second album. <sighs>
3: first one was uh, Angels Here? Angels Here, correct, yeah. yes. The song on there that caught my attention a few years back, and that's Mainstream. Mm-hmm. That's got a great lyric and a, yeah. it's got a bit of a beatly sound. Yes, that's classic, isn't it? <laughs>
2: Especially for that? us. What's yeah, a <laughs> verses
4: to that? What's the verses to mainstream? I can't even remember. I know
2: we have listened to it. He wrote a lot of that. Deer, 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 yeah, yeah, it's got a beetle, guitar riff. Yeah. Oh
4: yeah, 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 yeah. That's Absolutely. twenty soldiers. Da, 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 da. Okay, got it. Another <laughs> song now. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was an interesting song. It was not a normal song to me, but I loved it.
2: Yeah.
3: One of the interesting things is how your lives or your music is interwoven, and there, there are so many connections. Am I right, Vicky, that you saw the Castles on Ed Sullivan and that was one of the sparks, or was it that you heard the Castles' music? Well, yeah, I mean, I'd already, I already already had,
2: you know, as a, whatever, six, seven-year-old, this uh, crazy fantasy of being a musician, and that started with the Beatles, actually, of course. Yeah. But the thing that happened when I saw the Castles <clears throat> on the Ed Sullivan show was suddenly I saw... People relatively near my age, especially Susan and John and Barry, who were kind of around my age, doing it and doing it on this huge platform on this major scale. They had hit records. They were all over the television, and I think it just clicked something in my head. Like you know, hey, I can I'm, I can do this. No, I'm you sound like
4: this. Greg Bissonette because he says the same oh, thing. Well,
2: he's right. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> so I mean, it was just it was
3: uh, it was very inspirational for sure. This is some really cool pop records for the councils in that period. I think one of the key Ed Sullivan clips around is The Rain, The Park and other things. And that's you, John, on on drums. And you you must have been quite young.
4: I was quite young. (laughs) Yeah. I was probably eight or nine. Nine on Ed Sullivan, I'm sure.
3: You were playing on on the show, but you weren't necessarily on some of the early records. No, I was not on the record.
4: That was the first time we ended up at a record company, like a lot of musicians back then, saying, what we're not playing on our own songs? I was so pissed off, man. I was pissed off at Buddy Salzman, who became my very good friend, who played on that session. He, he was drums. the drummer. He played on the four all the Four Seasons things, and uh, we did an interview on him years later. But when I when I refound him, he was just so lovely. And uh, but I said I used to sit behind him on that session particularly, and I'd just be fuming, and he'd be because I had to watch him to see what I was going to play. You know, I'm just you know cocky little. Eight-year-old, you know, during recording saying, <laughs> I can play dad? this, you know, you not near as wonderful as he played. I'm sure of it. And I mean, I don't know how I played back then. I, The first thing that we played on actually was before that we were um, on the Jodel record with uh, Johnny Nash's label. That was our first record label. And we were just an R&B band, Bill, Bob, Barry, and myself. There was no mother or sister or other brothers in there. That was really a great time. I loved doing that because I knew who Johnny Nash was. Yeah, we had a cartoon uh, series <laughs> in America called Hercules, and he sang the theme song of that. And every day before school, I'd see the credits because it was one page, and he at the bottom, Hercules, sung by Johnny Nash. So I had that embedded in my head when I finally met the guy. I said, "I know who this guy is." You know, my cartoon. And we played on all our uh, stuff then. And I, I have all the tapes and all the recordings of the Jimmy Reeve stuff we did and it was pretty pretty cool man it was cool stuff and then we went to Mercury where we had the first uh Enlightenment that other people play on your songs and it was just a horrible experience at Mercury Records where we actually met Artie Kornfeld I mean Shelby Singleton God bless him was a novelty songmaker. he did Harper Valley PTA I don't know if that was big in the UK but we thought of Nashville song. and this guy was a Nashville guy And we met him in New York, and he saw us little kids come in here, and he thought, oh, this is going to be great. And he started giving us material like, don't put your feet in the lemonade. We're running out of water. Go soak your car in some ginger ale, though it may get sticky, sort of. There's a song on the flip side of one of our regional hits um, on the Phillips label called Most of All. And on the flip side is a song called, I Love My Siamese Cat, (laughs) because she's not very fat. She's not
2: very fat.
4: Played to a toy piano she leaps through the air and lands in a chair I know I couldn't do that it was just just embarrassing but my dad made us do it because he was a jerk (laughs) and then Artie Kornfeld who was working there as a staff a staff producer at 20 years old (laughs) got into somebody's ear on my older brother's or father's level and said you guys we got to get out of here you guys need to leave here and uh Artie Kornfeld took us into Bell Sound in New York City and recorded all of our first album before we even had a record deal and he he footed that bill and uh, made a great album and that was where rain the park and other things came from and then we went to lenny stogel who was the manager of sam the sham and the pharaohs tommy james and the shondells and he got us a record deal with mgm and they all figured out this would be a good idea to put my mom in the band right that just like threw everything off for the boys you know not me so much as my older brothers who wanted we you know, wanted to be the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and we're playing R&B and now we're the mom in the band and yes mom could sing you know hindsight of course says we probably wouldn't have made it without the chemistry of the yeah. novelty of yeah. having my mom in the band and then half an hour later they had my sister in the band and you know uh and then it just became this whole jubilee of roving family members joining the band and leaving the band and but it was very successful for the for the short period that it was successful you know it, was, it seems like everything lasts forever but it was just a few years we had fame and that height of fame
2: and for me and Greg Bissonnette if it wasn't for Susan being in the band none of this would have mattered
4: yeah yeah Greg Greg <laughs> said I saw I saw you on and do you know who Greg Bissonnette is no oh he's I'm a dead. very famous drummer and just a drummer's drummer like world-class session drummer played with david lee roth played with he's plays with ringo forever in ringo's band as the drummer but he's just played with everyone and to have him say to me you know i'm thinking he's yanking my chain you know no i saw you we all wanted to be there because it's all because of ringo we all wanted to be drummers who are my age and then after that it was like who else did you like you know but he saw us on ed sullivan he said "I i wanted to do that too you know so
2: and that's the short yeah. answer.
4: And that's the short answer. So moving <laughs> on, dot org. Suddenly the
0: sun broke.
3: Then takes us, John, to um, the very, very sad news of, of Dwight Twilley passing away very recently. Yeah, yes. very, very sad, sad news. You played with him. I did. When did you start playing with Dwight?
4: My sister and he were going out. For, from for,
3: 78, from 79. So yeah, 70.
4: around 80. 77, 78. She, They hooked up somehow. We were working in the studio with a guy named Chuck and who produced all the Bruce Springsteen, Darkness on the Edge of Town, the River. And we were in the studio with him for years. And uh, they met at the troubadour and just became a unit that night. And so Susan started singing with Dwight. And so I was around and I was hanging out with him at what's the place on Pacific Coast Highway, the uh, the studio? Shangri La. Shangri
2: Shangri
4: La? It's in Malibu, yeah, up on the big cliff. Mm -hmm. Okay, Shangri La, yeah. Anyway, he was there recording a song called 10,000 American Scuba Divers. And I happened to be in the room and there was a drum set and uh, a guy named uh, Roger Lynn, who created the Lynn drum machine. He's also an incredible guitarist out of uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually where they're all from. And we're there and recorded that song. I just, I slowly ended up being his drummer Mm -hmm. and I don't know how it happened, but I was. And then he was going to go on tour and I did a tour with him. And after that, that was pretty much it. Did a few demos with him after that, but uh, I moved on. I played with Jan and Dean for years. That was a blast. That was a lot of fun thing uh, with Jan and Dean. And the way that came about, I was bankrupt. I had no money. I'm 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 living at the Tropicana motel in Hollywood, you know, because I have maid service and just scraping by, which was like a rundown rock and roll hotel, yeah, basically, is what it infamous. was and uh i don't know how that happened but i got a a oh i kept going up to santa barbara and i i met a guy named jeff foskett who played with beach boys and brian wilson forever and uh, another fella named randell kirsch and uh, i was up there and started playing some local gigs with them while jeff lived at mike love's foundation in santa barbara and so i was just hanging out with him and somehow they called me up i was staying at this hotel and they said hey do you want to go do a couple of gigs for spring break with dean torrance and mike love that was a side thing that they did and i said uh, yeah let me check my busy schedule I'm not and so they sent. and i had no clothes they sent me to the nike place in santa monica and gave me the big stumble bag of free clothes and sneakers i mean i looked like a preppy walking out of there in, you know 1970 or 80, 80. 1980 yeah and, uh, and I went out and played with Mike Love and Dean Torrance. Well, after that short run was over, where I made like $500, it was awesome. Dean says, so uh, what are you doing? Uh, do you want to do any touring? And I looked at him, I said, hell yeah, I want a tour, you know. So he got back with Jan Berry, and, and I went out there for about four years with Jan and Dean, and that was a blast. All the guys in that band were just so much fun.
3: Was that the Bel Air Bandits? Yes. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, the Bel Air Bandits.
3: Mid-1980s.
4: Yes, just exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or early 80s for sure. Yeah. And I think I got out of there by around 84. I think I was done and I passed the baton on to a guy named David Logaman, And then uh, I went into uh, a scary place for several years and uh, I just did some corporate stuff, uh, trying to prove my love for someone staying home, you know, and it was like the wrong decision, but it was a decision I made anyway. I've made a lot of wrong decisions in my life. <laughs> and a lot of good ones too later on but yes then that relationship fizzled and in the middle of the night uh one night i was buying tigerwood 10 (laughs) gem cards with a credit card because i was in such dire need of money and this guy was convincing me on the tv set that i was going to get rich if i bought these cards and and hung on to them i was so desperate man (laughs) and uh, i got my phone rings at midnight i got two kids one's in one bedroom one's in the other one and I'm sitting in this living room listening to people yell at me on the TV set He said, hey can you get down to LAX right now <laughs> now I'm pissed off I said, no I can't get to LAX you know I hadn't talked to this guy since Jan and Dean days must have been 15 years and he says oh and I know what he wants and I haven't heard this guy's voice but I didn't ask him what what do you want he says well can you come in the morning and I said, yeah I can come in the morning because I had to get my kids to school and so I went out and I subbed for their drummer who had an inner ear problem and <laughs> to make a long story longer okay. um, <laughs> I ended up subbing for a couple of the guys out there one of the guitar players one of the keyboard guys and because I they, they really hired me to sing
2: <clears throat> now so the Beach Boys
4: And that was for the Beach Boys I was filling in. Yeah. So that was the Beach Boys. And so then I came home and they were all complaining out there and said, hey, can you sub for me? Can you sub for me? I said, yeah, give me a call, you know, but I didn't want to join because I thought I would never see my kids again because of the crappy divorce I had and I wasn't going to leave them. But then things changed and uh, I would actually get to see them more if I took the gig. So that was why I took the gig when it was finally offered to me a year and a half later. And, And then I was there 23 years. At first, I was their keyboard player for the first seven years, and then they moved me to drums after that.
3: The perfect band member, you could sing, play drums. There's great footage, the first part of when you were in uh, the Beach Boys. Yeah,
4: that was keyboard Singing
3: and and playing Darling, which is um, fantastic. Thank you you so
4: much. Thank you
3: it must have been such great fun to keep the music alive with um mike and, and the guys
4: it was wonderful it was a wonderful gig and they treated me really well and i really appreciated yeah. having that gig and i gave you know 200 i was no slacker up there it was a great gig especially once scott totten and i kind of took over the band (laughs) after the first seven years it was kind of
3: a scott ultimately became the band leader
4: yeah he became the band leader rightfully so because he was fixing the other band leader's stuff because it was wrong and uh and scott and i you know when we joined the band we're saying this almost sounds like the beach boys but not quite and so (laughs) seriously we finally took it over and we made it a contender for brian wilson's band easily who are all our friends by the way yeah and uh, But we wanted to give Mike, unbeknownst to Second him, a great <laughs> foundation to ride on, you know, because, you know, at that point, I'm thinking, oh, this will last five years, you know, but let's sound great. Let's sound like the Beach Boys, like the records, the things why we love the Beach Boys. And that's that was my whole goal. I wanted to play, you know, when I went to drums, I, I fixed all the drum parts to sound like the record. I played the Hal Blaine, Palmer's gigs and Dennis's fills. Every I played all the original stuff. And every, I played it that way every night. And that was the funnest thing to have control of that. And, and Scott Taunton fixed everything. I mean, I yeah. fixed the drums and, you know, that's basically it. But Scott fixed the charts like the they harmonies. were supposed to be. The harmonies yeah. were much simpler than they turned into because the Beach Boys got lazy. Well, you sing that tonight. Well, you sing that. Mm. So these parts turned into these more things. So when we joined the band, it's what the new band guys learned from Carl and all that stuff. So... They were so serious. We got to keep this alive. This is how Carl liked it and stuff. Well, Carl's not here, guys. Let's make this sound really great. And so we did.
3: Even when um, the Beach Boys reformed with Brian Wilson, you were co-opted into that. That's quite an honor. Yeah, I didn't three. think that was going to happen. Yeah, I
4: definitely thought Brian was going to take his all his guys. Understandably, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get another gig. Mark Shulman, who plays with Pink, is trying to get me a gig. with foreigner and I'm thinking oh shit I gotta play a solo you know I'm worried about what I'm gonna do so I never had to go do that because I got a call from the Beach Boy guys to go down to Ocean Way to record do it again again uh, (laughs) for the promo for the 50th anniversary tour so I knew I was in on that and that was pretty cool I really enjoyed that
2: that was great to
4: be on stage with Brian and Mike
2: yeah and Al and Al
4: and David Marks and Bruce but really Brian and Mike they were the guys you know they wrote all the cool shit. And uh, I had a great time.
2: It sounded amazing. I didn't sing
4: game. anything yeah. on that tour because there, there were way too many singers. and Everybody's fighting at rehearsal for singing. And I'm going, I'm not going to fight for that. Yeah, go, go, go be fabulous. Go, go be the singers, you know. And so, and everybody's looking at me. You mean that? You really don't want to sing? I said, yeah, I don't need to sing. Go, go ahead. Ha- have your jollies. I'll just play drums. I'm good. <laughs> I did.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you.
3: Vicky, um, in advance, I've just been digging into the Bangles and my favourite period for the Bangles was the early years. And I don't know if it's a coincidence that you wrote much of the material in (laughs) in those first few years of the band. Um, Even straight off the bat, first single, Getting Out of Hand, you had a defined sound, the songwriting was strong. Was that because you'd been in groups before that? So by the time the Bangs, as you were first known, came out, you were ready.
2: Yeah, well, Debbie and I had been playing since high school together and with our, our dear friend Amanda on bass. And uh, so some of those songs, actually some of the songs that show up on the first Columbia Bengals record, um, I had written two, three years before that, before the bangs even, That shows, songs like James and He's Got a Secret were older songs. But yeah, uh, Getting Out of Hand, for me, that was really fun because that was – First meeting up with Susanna and finding another writing partner who I felt I could really click with, and um, and yes, of course we were you know drawing from all those same influences, the Beatles and you know nicking Paul's bass parts and or the Jam, depending on who you want to steal from. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean it was it it was something that I was already doing pretty regularly and feeling very comfortable with and and loving songwriting especially.
3: With the debut EP, mm-hmm. was it four out of the five songs were mm-hmm. original material? So yeah, absolutely. very confident presenting your stuff and not just relying on covers. Not at all. Matter of fact, one of the only covers on that song
2: is a song that was co-written by Arnie Kornfeld, working with Cow <laughs> So it was just another one of those weird collections. And it wasn't something I sought out. I found it on a, a friend gave it to me on a mixtape. And I said, this is a cool song. We could do this. It was originally recorded by a group uh, in New Zealand, I think. Called the Lottie does so but yeah, but it was an Arnie Cornfield song, which one was yeah. it? How was the air up there? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, we we had our own sound. We were, songwriting and the band having its point of view and its collective voice being front and center for me was really important. That was crucial to what I wanted to do with the band. It was very important to me to have the band have our songwriting be be forward. Some
3: of those early tracks like uh, Dover Beach, there was literally, literally, it was literally literal.
2: Actually, yes, you are correct.
3: <laughs> I'm sort of inspired by
2: a, a poem. So how was it writing with Susanna? Well, it, in those early days, it was great. I mean, we we both had a lot of similar wells to dig from, you know, and, and musical loves. matter of fact, it was, it was sort of an aberration in 1980 and 81 when we first got together to find somebody who knew who, you know, Arthur Lee in Love was, who knew who... Buffalo Springfield was you know like good stuff yeah people weren't listening to that people our age were not listening to that stuff at that time so um that was not what was on the radio and so that was such a uh, was very refreshing to me and it was very much how we cemented our partnership definitely
3: another one of those songs from that period with a similar sort of origin in terms of books is uh, Hero Takes a Fall isn't it? Mm
2: -hmm. And that was another sort of there was another classical reference there because it was the the very idea of the classical motif in art you know where the the hero has a fatal flaw and of course will go down at some point so that was kind of the impetus for that song.
3: This audio of the moment when uh, Prince came on stage live with you guys and it played on that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he he liked our early stuff. God bless him. <laughs> he actually, uh, we got together with him at one point after a show and he was in town, he was in LA renting a house and had time in a studio. Cause he seemed like he always had access to a studio and uh, we got together with him and he wanted to play bangle songs. You know, he wanted to play, here it takes a fall. He wanted to play getting out of hand. He wanted to play, you know, he wanted, he didn't want to go over manic Monday with us. He wanted to, you know, I was dumbfounded. I was like, what are you talking about? This is a very
4: still five in the morning. (laughs) It was was. was still dawn.
2: And then he mysteriously disappeared, like he does.
3: John, you played on the Tommy Two tone here, 8675309, oh, didn't you? Yeah,
4: I, I I did the percussion and uh, and I sang on it. Yeah. In fact, um yesterday <laughs> I'm walking through um Brooklyn Heights and I've reconnected with Jim Keller, who wrote that song. And so literally just the last two days <laughs> we've been, been hanging out. out with Jim and and nothing so before that really. <laughs> so so it, funny. It, it's pretty funny. But yeah, uh, again, Chuck Plotkin who produced Bruce Springsteen was producing us and the Tommy Tutone guys came in there and he was doing half of their album. And I was always at Clover. I was at Clover for five years, that studio hanging out. And uh because I was hanging out, um I met Jim and Tommy, but Jim, Jim was my connection and and they were doing that song and and I just been in the room. They said, well let's do backgrounds. Hey John, you want to sing on it? Yeah, sure. You know, and then I put maracas on it and stuff. And it was really fun. It was a didn't know it was going to be a hit. Didn't know <laughs> really? I was going to even get paid. <laughs> Just in the room.
3: And Vicky, um, again, the council link there is that you've been in groups uh, with Susan, haven't you? I
2: absolutely, have met susan and john the same day in 1978 believe it or not was the month uh, april honey it was in april of 1978 good job john
4: thank you <laughs>
2: what day was it
4: no because she tells us the 17th or the 15th <laughs> no, or something yeah. oh, okay well, the 28th. <laughs> but she tells me this stuff and i yeah. go okay whatever you're, you're she's don't got remember. a cassette. You don't remember. Uh, she's got a cassette that she recorded the whole show under a table <laughs> where she came to As see <laughs>
2: I did, but I didn't sell it. We didn't sell it for our own yeah. personal enjoyment. But anyway, yeah, and then I reconnected with Susan about 10 years later and uh, became very fast friends and close friends. And at that point, she was going through some life changes and we ended up working together as the Psycho Sisters. Um, this is just post Bangles for me, post several, like I said, life changes for her. And uh, we st- again, I had, I felt like I had a writing partner that I really clicked with. And she was very new at songwriting, but what a talent, you know, and she just had a natural ability for putting things together, obviously a great singer. And the first time we sang together, she was like, wow, I don't normally like singing with other people, but you're like one of my brothers. <laughs> you know, she goes, she goes, you sound like Barry. So, and so I was like, mm. okay, I got that. And um, we started working together as a Psycho Sisters made 145 and then 20 years later made an album. <laughs> and then in, in between time we were sort of absorbed into the Continental Drifters a band which migrated to New Orleans and was sort of a congregation of songwriters and, and friends. And it was just it, and still exists to this day. As a matter of fact, we have a, a brand new live from Jazz Fest album out this week. We have uh, there's a book coming out about the Continental Drifters and <clears throat> up a tribute record with some of our dear friends and family contributing to.
4: Oh yes, yes, we do. Yes. Q, Q U. Q U. Yeah, yeah. I was called to to do a song for their tribute album. And so I picked a song that Mickey wrote called Watermark and recorded that.
3: So that'll be coming out at some point in 2024. Yeah. Some of the material that you did with Continental Drifters, and co-wrote with uh, Susan, appeared on with mm-hmm. the Bangles. The Rain Song was one of them, wasn't it?
2: Rain Song, absolutely, yeah. And, that song um, around. And then, yeah, and then also... And Hootie and the Buff And Hootie and the Bloodfish recorded it as well. Yeah, it was just sort of one of those songs everyone's like, it's a hit. Someone's yeah. got to have a hit with it. Keep recording it. <laughs> Somebody will hit. Um, it's got to be big. Yeah, that one and then also uh, the Bengals also recorded Mixed Messages, which was a song that was first recorded with the Continental Drifters too. So okay. lots of inter- interweaving I going on. So.
3: There's a few things that are coming up you guys have, have got some live dates early next year is that right the john and vicky show
4: the newest project that we yeah, have newest. is vicky peterson and john so yes yeah and so uh the, the first product that's coming out under that guys is um the dead brothers project basically it's two of my brothers bill my oldest brother and barry the one who's right above me who are prolific songwriters and incredible most talented yeah ever. So, we're covering six songs of each one of them. For basically a tribute album called Long After the Fire is the album by Vicki Peterson and John Cowsill. It should come out in 2024, I hope. If it doesn't, it'll be 2025, but I got to find we have to find a home for it. Yeah. It's absolutely lovely. It's it's not all one genre. There's a lot of country, mm-hmm. traditional country things that my brother Bill was so into, and, and so was I growing up. And then Barry, um, more eclectic rocker. a rocker. rocker. Um, so, you know, if it was just coming out on vinyl, it'd be so easy to um, <laughs> present as one side Bill and one side Barry, but because it's gonna sound like a mosh pit of um material, which you don't normally want to do um putting an album out, but it but it all yeah, sounds like Vicky and I yeah. have done. Yeah. You know, I mean it still sounds like guys no matter what genre it is. So it could confuse some people. Well, what are they really into? But this is a tribute album. So we're we're not too worried about that. I'm yeah,
2: very proud of it. And yes, we do have shows coming up yes. early year 2024. We're playing uh two opening slots for the Dream Syndicate, one in Los Angeles and one in New York. And we're also performing at a, a songwriter festival called 30A down in Florida. And that's also in January. So okay. we
4: can be discovered.
2: And we're gonna be doing some, <laughs> we're gonna some house concerts and uh, you know, a series yes. of things all in, in the first part of the year. And we'll see what happens after that.
4: It's such a strange world for tra- to traverse in the mm-hmm. music business now. I mean, you have to be on social media, you have to have, you know, million likes. I, I might have ten because I'm <laughs> I'm not this person. So you know for us to get a record deal will take a while if we get one at all you know it might end up out on you know some platform again like everything else we've done but it sounds so great it just deserves so much more attention than that but I'm sure other people who record feel the same way Mm -hmm. but you know we're starting a social media kind of thing (laughs) at our age you know it's like starting a savings account late in life so we'll just see how that goes but In the meantime, we will play live and we will have merch and we'll just do what everybody else is doing because we love to sing and we love to play. And if that's the only way it's going to get out there, then that's how it will get out there.
3: On From a Running Horse, you've also done your your own version of uh, Tom Petty's uh, California.
4: Yeah, came out nice. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You know, it was
4: so fun to do that. Yeah.
3: It's yeah. just, it
2: just it's music, man. <laughs> and we, we released the, the video on his birthday this past yeah. last month, and and yeah. just as a tribute, he is yeah he was a lovely man. I was very lucky to get to work with him. Oh a few yeah, times. she
4: got to sing you know, backgrounds with him. I got to go to the rehearsal, which was great. Them. You yeah.
2: know, we did the music care sh- show. That uh, was with so him. fun, that man. That was just.
0: Oh, that he was, the he last kept, tour. Yeah, he
2: was so sweet. He was he was a he was a Bengals fan, thank God. And uh, and Mike Campbell also, which was just I mean, what a what an honor. It really. just feels cool. Yeah. Because <laughs> playing with that, and and you know, I'm we're at rehearsal, I'm playing acoustic guitar with this band, and I just felt like I am playing with like all due respect to the beach boys, but this is like America's band, the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, the way they sound and the way they played um to so me, it's like cool. that was just essential
4: you should have been at the American rehearsal it was awesome music and I got to meet Steve and he had me sit at his kit. so I had pictures <laughs> of me at, the, at Steve <laughs> almost kit. died of
2: happiness oh
4: my god <laughs> it's like he insists I felt like a kid in a candy store man you know I was a fanboy at that point so and he plays on everything he's such a great drummer. and of course Tom shooting the shit <laughs> but I yeah. met Tom through Dwight Twilley because wow. they used to be mm. Yeah, so I- I've recorded with Tom in some studio one night in Hollywood, of course, you know, and before he was Tom Petty and uh, that was blast. He's just, just a sweet laid back guy like he is, you know.
3: Sweetheart. John and Vicky, it's been a pleasure to speak with you and, and traverse your intertwined musical journeys. It's been brilliant. Crazy.
2: Crazy. Well, thank yeah, you so much well, for having us. We so appreciate much.
3: it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so yes. nice to meet you. All
2: right. Have a <laughs> good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.